Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. Good evening, everybody. It is Thursday, January 29th, 2015. And we are here tonight with Fred Brunswick to continue our discussion and understanding of the U.S. Constitution. Why? Because most people have never read it, and much less understand it. So I decided that here tonight we will give uh, an opportunity that we will create actually a... um, uh, a course, if you will, in understanding the Constitution so that we have that available at the website. So nobody has an excuse for not understanding it, or at least not hearing it. So, hey, Fred. Yes, sir. All right. You made it. So why don't you take it away and and tell us uh, what we're going to be discussing tonight, and let's get into it. Hey, we are talking about Article 3 of the... United States Constitution, which is the article that sets up the judicial branch and tells us all about the powers vested and all that kind of thing. So, Section 1. This is uh, the the first uh, section, Clause 1. The judicial power of the United States shall be vested in one Supreme Court and in such inferior courts as the Congress may from time to time ordain and establish. So that refers back to Article 1, where it sets up the um, Congress and refers back to the law in there where they can make uh, inferior courts under the, the Supreme Court. It goes on to say, the judges, both of the Supreme and inferior courts shall hold their offices during good behavior. Not a lot of them in good behavior right now, but anyway. And shall at stated times receive for their services a compensation which shall not be diminished during their continuance in office. It does not say, and there's nowhere in the Constitution that allows retirement paid to judges by the federal government. And yet that is in place as we speak. A retired judge gets some kind of a retirement benefit, but there's nothing in the Constitution that allows that. So let's move on to Section 2. Section 2, Clause 1, talks about all the places that the Uh, judicial power shall extend to in the United States. First, uh, for any case in law or equity arising under this Constitution, the laws of the United States, that judicial power shall extend to all these, all cases that come up in that manner. Uh, Having to do with the uh, laws of the United States, 
and treaties made by the United States or which shall be made under their authority to all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers, and consuls, to all cases of admiralty and maritime jurisdiction, to controversies to which the United States shall be a party, to controversies between two or more states. Uh, there's one thing that says between a state and a citizen of another state, and that was modified by Amendment uh, 11. So if we go quickly to Amendment 11. It says, the judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend to any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States by citizens of another state. So that doesn't come under the uh, Supreme Court, where it used to, although that was passed in... Uh, 1795, so it's been a, been an amendment for quite some time. So i got and, a question already. Sure. Explain to us a little bit about what equity means. Well, I, I would, uh, you go to court because you want, you want to make it right. You want to make it fair. Okay. So that would be uh, more civil, I think, in nature than in criminal. Okay, and so you're looking for uh, some relief in something, and that's where it's supposed to. So that's where equity comes in. Yeah. All right. So you guys, if you're on the line, if you could, if you could hit star six on your phone, we're getting some background noise, and that'll mute you out. So we don't get all that background noise. Okay. Now, uh, they also you have jurisdiction. Yep, we can hear you. Oh, I tried to mute. I'll try it again. Star six. Sorry. Okay. Here, I'll do it for you. And if you have a question <laughs> later on, hit star eight on your phone. Actually, hit well, star eight. Well, you know, eight. I, I, I just, can he give us an example of the equity? Okay, we'll do that. But, uh, hit star eight on your phone so that I know that that much works, would you? Star eight? Yeah. Okay, hang on. Hmm. All right, it's not working. So, anyway, when we get into question and answer, I'll unmute you, okay? Okay. All right. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, uh, give us a little bit another Give us another example of what equity is. Uh, well, what's a good example? Um, it, I guess it probably comes from uh, the blind person holding the scales, and you want justice, you want both those to equal, to be even, so that everybody's uh, interests are treated fairly. And that's, I don't know if that's a good example or not, but that's that's the, what equity is. 
everybody's going to court to make themselves equal uh, because somewhere they've been shorted. <laughs> I guess that would okay. be one way to put it. Or they feel they have anyway. Okay, now if we go back to um, the uh, judicial, I mean, the Supreme Court also has jurisdiction between uh, citizens of the same state claiming lands under grants of different states. I don't think we have any problem with that now because all the states are already defined and there's no land out there that doesn't belong to uh, one of the states or claimed illegally by the federal government. Uh, see, uh, and between the state or the citizen thereof and foreign states or foreign countries or citizens or subjects of foreign countries that are trying to sue somebody in the United States. So that would involve the Supreme Court. Huh. Um, clause two, in all cases affecting ambassadors, other public ministers and consuls, and those in which a state shall be a party, the Supreme Court shall have original jurisdiction for all of those kinds of cases. In all the other cases before mentioned, the Supreme Court shall have appellate jurisdiction. In other words, you would appeal if you, in your state and you have some uh, court decision that happened and you don't like the way it happened, then you could take it up to the Supreme Court, which is normally what takes place. Okay. So it's an appellate court, uh, and they have appellate jurisdiction for cases within states that you can take up to the Supreme Court after having exhausted all of your efforts in the state Supreme Court. Uh, and if it involved all the other states, then it also would go to the Supreme Court. So, for instance, some of the, the, uh, the stuff that's in the mill right now in a lot of states between same-sex marriage and that kind of thing, that affects everyone in all the states. And so when it goes through the state, then, and then they take it up to the Supreme Court for the Supreme Court to make a decision. I'm not sure how legal that is because the states, or the people in the states, because we're supposed to be the people that are deciding what's best for their state, as long as it's in keeping with the Constitution, uh, should be able to decide those things. But that's what that is. Uh, let's see. Now, the other thing it says here, which is it's we need to make note of, is that they have appellate jurisdictions or um, original jurisdiction, both as to law and fact, with such exceptions and under such regulations as the Congress shall make. So because the Supreme Court of the states and of the um, United States are a panel of judges, thereby actually becoming a jury, so it isn't just one person making a decision, they have the ability to judge as to law and fact, where in a regular court where there's one judge, they... That's why you have to have a jury, so that you have more than one person deciding any issue. Now, number three is the real important one. Clause three of section two says the trial of all crimes and within 
commas, it says, except in cases of impeachment, because if you're impeaching someone, that goes to the Senate. But the case of the trial of all crimes shall be by jury. And such trial shall be held in the state where the said crimes shall have been committed. But when not committed within any state, the trial shall be at such place or places as the Congress may by law have directed. Now, we just go back to the first part. The trial of all crimes shall be by jury. There's nothing in here that says shall be by judge. Has to be by a jury. And because it doesn't say a judge, there should be no judge involved unless, unless, I'm sorry, unless the amount in question is under $20. That comes from one of the uh, amendments. But most people don't understand that, that they're, and that goes for state courts as well, because the United States Constitution is the supreme law, and all state constitutions have to be pursuant to the United States Constitution. And so they can't have judges under this Constitution, just one judge. It has to be a jury. And that's for all crimes. Now, in the question of a civil trial, that's where the equity comes in, where you're talking about civilly and there are two people arguing. It has nothing to do with a, an infraction of law or a criminal, you know, something that is, somebody did against the law. It's just a matter of, well, I think it's this way and you think it's that way. So you go to a civil court. You can demand a, civil, a, a jury for that as well, but you're not afforded that under the United States Constitution. This is just a trial of all crimes. Well, first you want to decide if you're going to court, if it's a crime you're being charged with. And if it is, then they don't have any option but to give you a jury. And as long as you know it and they know it and they know you know it, then they have to give you a jury. Okay. Uh, there are some things we can go into right here that are pretty interesting. Um, Let's see if I've got this where I want it. Okay. Uh, be reminded that it says all the trials of all crimes shall be by jury, and it doesn't say with a jury. It says by a jury. So. There should be no one other than the duly elected sheriff in any kind of a court case, be it for federal or state, that picks a jury and addresses the jury. And there doesn't have to be uh, attorneys on either side be the only ones that can talk in the court. The jury, the members of the jury that are picked should be able to ask all the questions of the victims and everybody else, and then decide based on the responses, based on the evidence, decide the case without any intimidation, any influence of a judge. So they are where? Go ahead. Where is it? Where is it established that the sheriff does that? 
Because it doesn't well, say it there in the Constitution. It just says, shall be by jury, but it doesn't say who assembles it and runs it. Well, it it does, but we haven't got there yet. That's the oh, next okay. article. But um, because, maybe I can interject this right there, uh, Article 4, Section 4, says, the United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government. A Republican form of government, where the people say it's democratic and all these other kinds of things, <clears throat> means that the people are the governors, ultimately. And so the people decide who's going to be the representatives, whether it's in the House of Representatives, whether it's in the Senate, or whether it's your law enforcement. The people vote for their law enforcement person. They decide who's going to be in charge of their law enforcement. And if they don't like the guy or he does something wrong, they can impeach him or they can vote him out. You don't have that opportunity with any other law enforcement agency. State troopers, unless they're under the sheriff, you can't vote them out. Highway patrols, police departments, you can't vote a police chief out of office unless you voted him in. And that's one of the problems we have in law enforcement now because they haven't followed the Constitution. So anyway, under the Constitution, the sheriff, who was duly elected by the people, who they decided to be able to wanted to do this, they didn't vote for any attorneys to pick it. They didn't vote for any judges to pick it, to pick the jury, pick the people. And they didn't vote for a judge to tell the people what to do in the case of a jury. And that's one of the big problems we have with cases. Now, there might be a problem the other way where jurors are asking questions that don't matter, but that doesn't matter because that's the way this is written. The jury is supposed to find out all the facts they can by themselves and not be limited to somebody saying, you're going to have to disregard what he just said. You can't use that as part of the evidence because somebody shouldn't have been the one asking the questions anyway. It should have been the jury. And that's really an important concept that was put in here by our founding fathers because we are judging one of our citizens most of the time, someone that's our another citizen that has done something wrong, we're judging them, and so we're supposed to be able to be more fair by having more of us come together and decide whether something was done wrong or not. Not one person. And a judge giving orders or direction to a jury what they consider and what they can't is kind of ridiculous, which means that he's still in charge of how things are going to be decided. And that's not the way the Constitution was written. Okay, now if we go into a little bit more here. Um, there's some things that happen in a criminal case that, uh, if we go down to you, you, something happens and you get hauled in by the police or by the you know, by the police generally could be the sheriff, and you have to go to an arraignment nothing about arraignment anywhere. Uh, let's see. 
and that's where a judge is officiating for some reason, but I'm not sure why that is, because the sheriff or one of his deputies has called you in for something, something that they believe you did wrong if it's a criminal case. And then you go to an arraignment by a judge. I don't know why a judge is involved in that because your law enforcement, again, is the sheriff. And he he already has decided that you've done something bad enough or there's enough evidence to take you to jail. And then he can decide when the trial can be held. If there's going to be a trial, he should be able to decide with his deputies and whatever other um, ways he has to find out more about the crime, the investigation, to decide whether you should be tried. And so there shouldn't be any arraignment by anybody other than the person that hauled you in because he's the one that decided you did something wrong somewhere or some witnesses have made claims against you. So then when the judge or when the sheriff then picks the, the jury, it's supposed to be an impartial jury, and an impartial jury cannot happen with a judge telling them what they can decide and what they can't. So this is a real important part of the Constitution. Just in a few words, it says this is left up to the people who are going to be picked for the jury, and they're the ones that are going to try the case and decide based on all the questions they want to ask and all the information they are given by the sheriff or by his prosecutor, if that's the way they want to put it. But the prosecutor has to be a part of the sheriff's department. At least that's the way it's supposed to be. Okay, so um, there's another part of this that's pretty interesting. Uh, let's see if I can put it in regular words. This is written in uh, legalese, kind of. Uh, let's see. Yeah, there, there, there exists no direct or no dire necessity for any judge to intercede between an accused and the impartial jury. So that's what the arraignment is. They arraign, I guess the arraignment is supposed to be for them to decide whether there's enough evidence to have a trial. But that's the sheriff's job, not a judge. And... Um, has to be an impartial jury, of course, like we said, <clears throat> and all power to try all crimes, inclusive of the crime of contempt of court, is confirmed at the proposed Constitution's Article 3, Section 2. Okay. So the jury is the one supposed to be making those uh, decisions, not based on some other person who calls himself a judge. Hope I've been clear enough so far on that. Section 3, treason against the United States shall consist only in loving war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort, that's the only thing you can be tried in treason in the United States. So that's if you're working for the other side, 
and or if you um, give them aid or comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to have the same overt act or on confession in open court. So they have to confess or they have to be witnesses to show that they did something wrong. That is, that raises to the crime of treason. Also, treason is a military crime. It's not done by the actual normal judiciary um, because of that fact. Now, let's see. Something else I was going to bring up there. It's it's there are a lot of um, well there are judges who should be tried for treason. There are um, people who are in office that should be tried for treason because they in effect are abating or I mean um, giving ease and comfort to the to the uh, enemies that we have. One, which is in one of the kits we sell, is about the, uh, this happened back in, anyway, Congress and, um, which Congress? Anyway, they put into the tax code a uh, code that, was going to make all firearms registered by the federal government and that information would be available to anybody who asked for it because of public information, which would then, and also a tax put on all those, any gun you had, which would make it easy for them to uh, tax out of existence, all firearms. That was one way they were going to do that. And that was a long time ago. That would have been back in 53 or so, 1953. So that's something, I mean, there's a lot of things that we all know were going on that don't fit with the Constitution, and yet not enough people know about it to stop it. Okay, now let's see. Go back to Article 3. Section 3, Clause 2, Congress shall have the power to declare the punishment of treason, but no attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood or forfeiture except during the life of the person attained. Punishment of treason shall result in a 50% pay increase. (laughs) Well, yeah, see, that's one of the things that people might see, but it's not there, okay? (laughs) Now, um, if we move on to Article 4, Section 1, full faith and credit shall be given in each state to the public acts, record, and judicial proceedings of every other state. In other words, uh, if, if you get a license in California, the other states, because it's valid in California, will count it valid in their state, even though you don't live there, but you're passing through. That's probably the easiest way to describe that. Or marriage license. Any other state will... Uh, although right now they're having questions about that with same-sex marriage. Previous to that, anybody that was married was 
considered married in any other state as well because that's the full faith and credit uh, part of this section. And the Congress may by general laws prescribe the manner in which such acts, records, and proceedings shall be proved and the, election, the effect thereof. So they're going to decide, and they already have, that all states will, will agree with the acts done in, in, a, in any other state. Section 2, the citizen of each state shall be entitled to all privileges and immunities of citizens in the several states. In other words, we're all supposed to be equal. We're all supposed to have the same privileges and immunities. So one state can't have something uh, that the Constitution allows, and the state says, no, we're not going to allow that. Okay, a person charged in any state with treason, felony, or other crime who shall flee from justice and be found in another state shall on demand of the executive authority of that state or the governor from which he fled to be delivered up to be removed from the state having jurisdiction of the crime. Okay, now we're still a little bit, like this covers some of the judiciary side. Um, the, the problem in some of these instances is where did the crime happen? So if I if I make a bomb in Utah and I a letter bomb let's say and I send it to California or to Oregon or to Florida and someone there opens it and is injured where did the crime happen The crime happened in the state where the injury was That's where the crime happened That makes sense. Yeah, because if nobody opened it, there wouldn't have been a crime. And the same thing. Uh, another example is a telephone. If I make a, let's say I make a, a an obscene or a threatening call to someone else in another state, where did the crime happen? Did I commit a crime where I am, or did the crime happen? when the person on the other end of the phone, wherever they were, heard the call. If they didn't ever hear it, no crime was committed. So it happens where the where the where the injury was or where the you know where somebody is hurt. And then so that means then the state that I sent the letter bomb to and the person was injured, they have a crime and that is where the crime is um, tried in the state court. It's not a federal crime, and this is really important. It didn't happen, well, it could have happened on federal property, but let's say it didn't happen on federal property, so it has nothing to do with the, fed, the, the federal government. It has to do with state government, and the state executive can then get a hold of authorities in Utah and say, this guy caused a crime in my state, you need to haul him over here, extradite him, so he can stand trial in our state for the crime that happened here. And a lot of times they say, as soon as, well, the federal government, as soon as you cross state lines, it's a federal crime. Well, if we remember back from Article 1, Section 8, What's the jurisdiction of the federal government? 
is limited to 10 miles square of Washington, D.C. So there is no, there's, there's, two, there's a line between two states. And no matter how infinitely small you make that line, it still only has property that belongs to one state or the other. There's nothing in between under the line anything else that belongs anywhere else. It either belongs to one state or the other state. And so it's not a federal crime, even though that's what they've tried to make a lot of us believe. There can't be a federal crime unless it happens on federal property. So just by virtue of crossing a state line, let's say I I committed a crime here and crossed into California. Well, the crime happened here. Whether I went to California or not doesn't make it a federal crime. It's still a a state crime, and the executives of the states, using their authority, can have you extradited, extradited to the scene of the crime. If that makes sense, I hope it does. Sounds okay. good to me. <laughs> uh, this is section three. I mean, uh, clause three. No person held to serve. Oh, let's see that. This part that I'm reading, I probably shouldn't even want to read that because it's modified by Amendment 13. So let's read Amendment 13. So we're following through with this. Okay, Amendment 13. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States, or any place subject to their jurisdiction. Okay? So that's where we uh, did away with what it used to say. Um, no person held to service or or labor in one state under the laws thereof escaping to another. That had to do with, uh, well, for instance, the Civil War. They would be free in another state, but because the laws in the states were a little bit different and somebody's uh, the slaves, that happened back then. So the only people that can be held against their will and be forced to do whatever the state decides is a punishment are people that are duly convicted of some crime. Okay, now, Section 3, this is a very important issue that everyone ought to think about and understand um, because it hasn't happened the way it says it needs to happen here. New states may be admitted by the Congress into this union. Remember, there were 13 states originally and they were the 13 states that got together. Their representatives came up with this constitution, and the constitution was ratified by a majority of those states, supposedly. There's still a question on that, but we won't go into that. So this says new states may be admitted by the Congress into this union, and then it has a semicolon. It goes on to some more things. But that part right there is very, very important because Congress only has the authority to admit or not admit. They do not have the authority to create states. And even in the reading here, it says new states may be admitted to the, to the union. 
What do you have to be to be admitted? You have to be a state first. It doesn't say new territories. It doesn't say new land. It doesn't say anything else. It says new states. And so just like the first 13, they were individual states before they got together and created the federal government, which was created by the 13 states to represent those 13 states unified to the rest of the world, not to control each of the 13 states. So new states could be admitted or not admitted by the Congress. That is the only authority they have. Now, every state since the first 13 were created by Congress with an enabling act. That is completely unconstitutional. It just is. If we go back to Article 1, Section 17, I mean, uh, Section 8, Clause 17, it says what property the United States can have. And there's one portion of Maryland and Virginia that was ceded or given to the United States. Everything else has to be purchased. So this one here really gets into how did we gain more territory or territories. The word territories, plural, is not in the Constitution. It is only singular. And that one territory that is allowed by the United States Constitution to the United States is Washington, D.C. That's the territory of Washington, D.C. It has no, it can't be a state. Even though some people have tried to make it so, it can't be a state because it can't be equal to the United States or the other states. So every every state has been created by Congress. Whatever Congress did it, whenever they were uh, became a state, was done unconstitutionally because the people are the ones that are supposed to get together, decide this is where we're going to have a state, decide to be a state on their own, and then apply to the United States, if they want to be a part of it, to be accepted or not accepted by the United States. That's the only power that the Congress has. An enabling act is not constitutional. And it's not constitutional to have more than one territory. So how in the world did Oregon and Washington and Utah and California and Nevada and Idaho and Texas, how did they become a territory before they became a state? And why was the United States government in charge of the territories and states under the Constitution? That doesn't work. Okay, let's see. The tail end of that, Section 3, says, but no new state shall be formed or erected within the jurisdiction of any other state, nor any state be formed by the junction of two or more states or parts of states without the consent of the legislatures of the states concerned as well as of the Congress. So in other words, it's, it reinforces that the Congress can ex- uh, admit or not admit, depending on how you decide your state is. And the people in a certain area that decide to be a state, they set the boundaries of their state, and then they apply. And if that boundary infringes on another state's land, of course, then they have to 
readjust the boundaries before they uh, apply. Section 2, the Congress shall have power to dispose of and make all needful rules and regulations respecting the territory, not its territories, or there's nothing plural. The only territory they had at that time was the territory of Washington, D.C., and that hasn't changed. Or other property belonging to the United States, which is property they should have purchased from a state with the okay of that state. And nothing in this Constitution shall be so construed as to prejudice any claims of the United States or of any particular state. So if the United States has a claim to the territory, Washington, D.C., the other states can't come back on that and say, wait, we want it back, although Washington wanted his land back and got it back, which changed Washington, D.C. But also, if a state has picked out a plot of land, wherever it is, and it hasn't infringed on any other state, then the only thing the Congress can do is say, well, yeah, you fit the bill. It's not conflicting with any other people or any other state, and your constitution that you wrote up is in agreement with our constitution, so yeah, you can be a member of the United States. Or, no, you can't because you don't, you know, you haven't made these arrangements. Okay. But that's a real uh, important one too, the territory. Um, and in, there's some other place in amendments that they have used the same term, but in proper English, it's incorrect because they're trying to make territory a plural term when it's not. Plural te- the plural of territory is territories, but uh, the amendment was written to try and cover that up. Okay, section four. This is a very important one as well because this talks about, again, the Republican form of government. The United States shall guarantee to every state in this union a Republican form of government and shall protect each of them against invasion and on application of the legislature or the executive when the legislature cannot be convened against domestic violence. So in this case, domestic violence means one state against another. That's probably not going to happen too often. Um, Again, we start really thinking that over and, and finding that there is no law enforcement available to the United States as an entity that that is legal under the Constitution other than a duly elected sheriff from whatever county and whatever state. The United States doesn't need law enforcement, at least it's not supposed to, other than the Navy. That's the only thing the United States has that it can have that it's authorized by the Constitution to have a standing Navy. And that was back in Article 1, Section 8, Clause uh, 14, I think. I can't remember. So, any other law enforcement, FBI, CIA, I think we talked about this when we went through Article 1, is now constitutional because the people did not pick 
the executive of that department. And that's what a Republican form of government guarantees, that the people decide who's going to be the representatives, be it in government or in law enforcement. I think that's uh, pretty close to everything I had. We can go into questions now. I've got, uh, I mean, that's that's two sections, but they're pretty, got some pretty important uh, wording in them. Wow, Fred, that's a lot. Okay, you guys, if you got questions, if you got questions, hit star eight on your phone. I'll I'll unmute you in case you have questions. Star eight on your phone. So one question, going back to the jury and the sheriff, uh, who Uh handles who handles objections? The sheriff said, "Well, this louse over here was doing objection." Hey, there's no objections. You can't object to the jury. The jury can decide to ask any question it wants. And nobody's going to object to the jury and tell them they can't hear it. No, no, but say if the sheriff is prosecuting it, and the sheriff says, yeah, we saw this louse over here doing that thing, you know, kind of smearing his character, can't that person stand up and object to what the sheriff is saying? Well, he can stand up and say that didn't happen and then give the evidence of what shows that didn't happen, bring on his own witnesses and have the jury ask their witnesses. I mean, the, the sheriff the sheriff probably wasn't there. Right. There would probably be a deputy or something, so they'd have to have a deputy as a witness. Uh, the sheriff is just the administrator, basically, at that point in the court. And all he's doing is making sure that everything is uh, fair there's that word equity again, that everybody uh-huh. has done completely right. Now, you may have a bad sheriff. Well, he's not going to do too much out of, a, out of a, if everybody's on board and everybody understands their duties under the Constitution, which most people in the United States don't, right. then he's not going to do anything that's going to jeopardize his job. Because he knows, if I do a real crazy job here, and there's all kinds of evidence having to do with, uh, I'm charging this guy, uh, you know, illegally, then the jury's going to know and everybody else is going to know and he's not going to be sheriff very long. Okay? Because not only would he, if he's doing it knowingly, then that's, you know, that's fraud. And if he's doing it because he doesn't have enough information, then why'd he haul the guy in? So, I mean, there's all kinds of things there, but that's why the the sheriff is the one that was picked by the people to do it. He's the one that's picked by the people to keep law and order, to bring those people that are not conforming to what everybody wants into justice, and the jury decides the case. They decide the facts. So the the, okay. the person that's being charged can object to anything if he wants. Says, no, that's not right, you know. And then the jury can ask all kinds of questions to both parties and then decide on the case. Okay, has anybody got any questions? Star 8 would work real good on your phone. Otherwise, speak up if Star 8's not working. Hey. Al, was that you? Yes, sir. Okay, go ahead. You, you know, it's not that I've had a lot of experience in court. Believe me, I have not. But even on television, I've never seen or, or a court where the jury is able to ask questions. 
That's because they don't want you to know that, and nobody read the Constitution to find that out. And I was looking, you know, I'm going by a little guide that I have called the U.S. Constitution. It's probably not nearly as in-depth as what you have, but I didn't read or find any of that about the sheriff, you know, basically controlling the court. Now, what if a judge wants to be in the court? Can Can you tell the judge to leave? Yes, I would. If I if I'm going to court, I'm going to tell the judge to leave because I, he has to prove he has standing. And I would say, well, first you have to prove that you have jurisdiction, standing, and jurisdiction in this court over this case. And I can prove you don't. Show me in the Constitution where it says you're supposed to be here, because you apparently took an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution. And if it doesn't allow you to be here, what are you doing? You are committing fraud. You're probably committing treason. Now, like I say, the way things are going now, because not enough people know, if you had a jury there and you brought that up, they're not going to know they're supposed to try the case unless you go through it proving what the Constitution says. And they're going to try and shut you down in every way possible. I mean, you know, we've been taught this. Gee whiz, clear from the 50s with Perry Mason and probably before that with all kinds of other things. This is the way the court is done. Well, that's not the way the court is set up in the in the Constitution. But if you don't so know where that... Can, where, where can I read more about Article 3, Section 2, that explains that about the sheriff and not the judge? Well, it's by elimination. If If it can't be a judge and it can't be a prosecutor and it, there can't be attorneys for each side other than... You can, and that was the purpose of having people learn it in the law, so that you could go to somebody and say, I've got this problem, and I don't know that much about this. Can you help me understand it? Can you tell me, you know, the things I need to say, the things I need to do? And then a person that's learned it in the law, what they call them now as attorneys, supposed to know the law, but most of them don't know what I'm telling you, Right. They're the ones, and and it's interesting how in their codes, they say you have the right to counsel, okay? Why did, who decided that counsel meant an attorney? It's nowhere, anywhere that says that means an attorney. That means a lawyer. It doesn't. It means you're, you have the uh, right to somebody to tell you what's going on because you may not understand it. And somebody else does. And yet, then also, if you get, in the way the law is right now, in a court, if you get an attorney, you are locked into what the attorney says, and the court will not allow you to speak unless they say it's okay. You have to get their permission to speak. Or in this case, who would you get permission from, the sheriff? Well, in this case... You have, yeah, the sheriff, like I said, is the administrator or maybe the referee, so to speak, okay? Now, they can change that pretty simply by making the prosecutors part of the sheriff's department, which they are not, okay? And that way, the prosecutor, who's supposed to know the law and understand, you know, all the, the parts of it, and the sheriff, the sheriff is supposed to be enforcing the law. So really, 
even though it's not done because people don't understand, the sheriff should know the law as well as the prosecutor because he's up have there. You, he's, have, you, you know, have you ever tried to go to court and and do this? Uh, we we tried one time. Uh, of course, this is in Utah where we have another whole can right. of worms with our judiciary. But I think the same thing would happen unless you can, unless they don't shut you down. Now I'm not saying they they'll allow you to bring this up because a judge might say, uh, like a friend of mine, which is really interesting. I grew up with him. He is a judge, or was a judge. He's not now, and. Uh, he made a joke, and of course, when he was a city judge, that's kind of the way he ran it. He says, uh, the, the sheriff enforces the law, the attorneys decide the law, or the jury decides the law, and I am the law. <laughs> oh, so it's a funny joke, but it's not really funny when you know that that's really what happens. And so you would have to be able to bring this up that way and have them somehow put the burden on them and say, I can't see where you have any standing in this case. You don't have any jurisdiction and no standing because where is your authority coming from? Show me in the Constitution where it says all crimes shall be tried by judge. It's not there. And so if it's not there, what are you doing here? It says by jury. And there's nothing in there that says the jury has to be picked by anybody. There's nothing in the Constitution that has that. That's what they've made laws for. Now, if, you, if the, con, the Congress has made laws about that, they don't reach out past 10 miles square. That's back in Article 1. And so, you know, this has to be somewhat, and you have to go back to also the uh, Republican form of government. The person that should be doing that job is the person the people pick to do it, and that's the law enforcement. If the person that's supposed to be deciding the case or the people is the jury, and that's the people that themselves that are going to be the jury and decide the case. They're the only ones, even in a court of law where the judge is, that can decide the facts. That's why they have a jury, because the judge can't do it. Now, you get a bench trial. If it's a criminal case, you should never agree to that. You should, wait a minute, is this, is this, a, is this a, a criminal case? or a civil case. There's only two kinds of law we have in the United States, civil or criminal. If it's civil, sue me. If it's criminal, I need a jury without a judge. Now, I don't know what they'd do if you did that, but nobody's done that because nobody's read this and understood it. But that's the case. So we've tried a couple, three times to get stuff in front of of a judge. The one time we did, we said, okay, well, wait, we're, we're challenging your you're standing in this case, you don't have authority. We've got all kinds of, you, we've we've submitted all the paperwork, and the judge just said, we're not going to go into that now. I'm setting this for trial. And we're thinking, you can't set it for trial. We just told you you didn't have any authority. Prove you have authority first before you say anything. And, you know, ultimately, we got into court, and they just dismissed the case. Didn't even have any more arguments after that fact. So I think it can happen, but you have to know and you have to be able to show them or, you know, put the burden on them to prove they have standing because there has to be somewhere that they can prove that they were the ones picked 
by the people to do that job. No federal judge is picked by the people. No judge is picked by the people. They're not elected by the people. They're re-elected by the people. Well, in Utah, that's the case. We used to elect them. Before 1984, we elected the judges. And that's the way it should be all the time, if you're going to have judges. But then again, because of the amendment to the Constitution, you only have judges at all if the amount of the dispute is under $20. So what are they doing in all these other cases that are over $20? Shouldn't be there. It should be the jury. And the jury has to be the one to try the case. So they're the ones that should ask all the questions, whatever the questions they want to ask. Now, the Bar Association is not going to agree with you because that's their bread and butter. Of course. Self-interest, fraud. Right. Yep. Any other questions? Any other questions? It's star eight. I guess one statement I could say is you you cannot prove a negative. And so, in other words, if it's not in the Constitution, then it's not there. And if it's not there, nobody has any authority to do whatever you're trying to say if it isn't covered in here. Either in there, it's law, or it's not. All right. Well... I don't think we have any more questions, but we had a fantastic show tonight. Wow. Thank you very much, Fred. That was awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. You're more uh, very welcome. well done. <laughs> I hope more and more understand. Get, get the interest enough to understand and read it for themselves to see, you know, the way things are. Well, I'm kind of behind right now on getting these up to the website, but soon I'm going to put them up there and just start advertising, let people know that this is some really cool stuff. Well, it's kind of when you, when you just like when you have uh, something that you're going to go into the hospital for and they say you have some kind of a sickness or illness or you need a transplant or something like that. It It's very, very good idea for you to learn as much as you can about your condition so that you'll be much better able to sign an informed consent for the doctor. Same thing. Learn as much. We're supposed to know this as citizens. And we're supposed to be the ones riding herd on the government to make government to make sure that they are doing. Yeah, well, you know out. what? More people know more facts and figures about the NFL than they do about the Constitution. That's why we're getting hammered so hard. And that's we got to change. <laughs> Well, it's been fun. It has. So, Fred, thank you very much. And uh, I guess we'll see you again uh, next week. Now, you want to do the Yeah, I think Tuesday. Well, we'll do it again Thursday. Does that sound good? That's fine, yep. As far as I know, that's fine. Uh, uh, I'll plan on that. Uh, if something comes up, I'll let you know in plenty of time ahead. Okay. All right, you guys, thank you very much. And everybody, you have a good evening. Thank you. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.